series is called Riding Elephants. What's that like? Well, it's a little like trying to manage your emotions sometimes, right? You've got the rider who is trying to be reasonable, and then you've got the rest of you that sometimes wants to go this way and that way. And, and the premise of the series is that you don't outgrow your emotions. You know, it's sort of like if you leave a, a cup of tea with a little milk in it overnight, it forms sort of a ring around that. Somebody described that to me as the way that a battery forms a memory. So the next time you charge that battery up, it hits that ring inside the battery, and it can't be charged any more than that. Your spiritual life, your spiritual growth can sometimes be limited by your emotional maturity. And so sometimes in order to grow spiritually, we have to have emotional breakthroughs. That's the premise of the series. This morning we're talking about the idea that, that shame does not need to dominate in your life. That taking risks of vulnerability can help you overcome shame when you know, when you know what your core message is. Some years ago, right, right before we Moved here about eight years ago, uh, the Filston family went on a trip out west, and we went through all of the difficulty of getting six different duffel bags packed, you know. I mean, we had to be packing tight, right? And uh, at some point, we were going to end up in, in just a, one of those SUVs with a third row seat, and so we needed everybody to be tight. And so, you know, when you're trying to get people to pack for a long trip, there, there are lots of fierce moments of fellowship, right? Fierce moments of fellowship. Yeah, let that sink in. So along the way, you know, when you've got six people and you're trying to get them and there's a lot of stress and you're trying to hit the deadlines and all of that, people begin to question, was this really a good idea? You know, and you start hearing from the back seat, you know, questioning, is this really going to be worth it? Is this going to be worth it, right? Is all this... Uh, all this packing and all this stress and all this travel, is it going to be worth it? And I just remember thinking from the front seat, I'm driving along and, and uh, you know, people are starting to have doubts, right? But I know what's ahead. I know what's ahead. Zion National Park, the Grand Tetons, Yellowstone, the, uh, the Cascade Trail between the Grand Teton and Tweenot Peaks, one of the most beautiful uh, trails in all of the world. I know this is ahead. That's my core message. So I'm not worried about the bad press I'm getting from the back seat, right? I'm not worried about the bad press because I know what my core message is. I know what's coming. Paul had a core message. And in shackles, in a dungeon, in a damp place, at the end of his life, Paul sees the shame, the outward shame that they're trying to bring, that the Roman guards are trying to bring upon him. You know, look, you get pulled over by, uh, by a police officer and you haven't done anything wrong. You feel something, right? You feel like you have done something wrong, right? Here he is in a dungeon, shackled. But even shame, even shame helps strip him of himself 
that his core message might emerge. From the Word of God, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, starting with verse 14. We're going to start with verse 14 and go through 21 this morning. Paul, writing to his protege, Timothy, it's been about four years since his first letter. Timothy has been pastoring in Ephesus, and Paul is encouraging him in his final days. He says this, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They're upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Let's pray together. God bless us now through your word, not only to our minds to understand it, but to our hearts to receive it, that through our lives, people may see us living it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, causes, causes, causes for which you might be an activist, causes for which you might form an opinion, causes... Come and go. But our core message remains. What is the main thing? What is the main thing? I love the way Kierkegaard frames up the main thing of the Christian life. He says this. Christianity did not come in order to establish the heroic virtues in the Christian life, but to remove self-centeredness and establish love. That's the sermon. We're going to talk about how you take risks of vulnerability so that your core message, the core message of your life in Christ may emerge. That no matter whether you're talking about any cause, are you talking about in such a way that your core message emerges? That you're not betraying the core message in the way that you stand up, in the way that you stand against, or the way that you stand for. So that if you're going to go out and give your opinion about what just happened in, in, in the, the, uh, the highest court in the land, is your core message emerging in the way that you're representing yourself? Paul is saying, look, even in chains, I can see the opportunity for the self-centeredness to be drained out of me for what might be given to me 
as shame to drain me of me that my core message may emerge. You see, this is what he's saying. Nothing to be ashamed of. Nothing to be defensive about. So that when we talk about what we need to talk about, we can keep the main thing the main thing. So let's talk about three ways to be vulnerable. Three risks that you and I can take to help the core message remove self-centeredness that love may be established. That core message can emerge through these three risks. First, we point past ourselves to our core message and to Christ. When we take the risk of letting little things go. (laughs) Doesn't that feel good? I just love saying that. Let's let little things go. You say, well, you know, some of the opinions I'm seeing right now, they represent a big thing. Okay. But are you getting pulled down into a little, little argument about the big thing? And is your core message being squashed in the way you're dealing with that thing? Whatever that thing is. Verse 14, it says, don't argue over words. You know, <laughs> you see this a lot. Uh, whether, whether it's in a meeting or whether it's uh, in social media, people clamoring to use words to be the smartest person in the room. You notice that, right? Climbing over each other. Oh, yeah, but. Yeah, but. Right? Don't argue over words. This is, Paul is very blunt. He says, this kind of wrangling ruins the faith of the hearers. A guy named David Kinneman, he's the president of Barna Research Group, and he's been looking at younger generations and why are they leaving the church? It's not so much that they're leaving the faith, but they're, they're leaving the way that they saw faith represented. They're leaving the church. And he's asking, why are they leaving the church? And, you know, one of the conclusions he has drawn And I heard him say this just recently, just the other day on a podcast. He said this. He said, they're looking at the people living their faith, and they don't believe that they believe it. And the reason they don't believe they believe it is because they're in arguments, and they have to win every argument, and they're so defensive about every little thing that it betrays their faith. It doesn't show them that they have confidence in the big thing. They have to win every little argument, so they betray the core message. They don't convey that they believe what they say they believe. They don't have confidence, so they get defensive. Or maybe they do have confidence, but it's hiding behind all these little arguments. We've got to win every little argument. See, Paul's saying, let some things go. Let some things go. Don't get crossed up over words because what are you doing when you're getting crossed up over words? What are you doing? You're self-aggrandizing. You're trying to say, I've got the better idea. I know how to say this better. I am on the right side of history. You're on the wrong side of history. This is about me, 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 right? And where does the core message go? When I'm winning my little argument, where does the core message go of removing self-centeredness and establishing love? It leaks out your message. This uh, past week, several of your elders and I went to Michigan for the General Assembly. And that is so, so there are uh, about 700 EPC congregations across the United States. 
And uh, we get together once a year for a general assembly, and we, we talk about words. We use words to try to organize ourselves. So this is still on the verse 14, right? We're talking about careful with your words, right? Careful with the way you use your words. I love the ethos of our denomination. Unity in the essentials, liberty in the, in the non-essentials, love overall. Unity in the essentials, liberty in the non-essentials, love overall. This ethos, this tension between what is essential and what's non-essential, I say it's an ethos, it's, it's an environment, it's a, it's a tone in the room. It's the way that people approach issues. It emerges again and again. We've got great leadership in the EVC. This past week, there was a, uh, the, the most fierce, uh, again, I'm going to use this term, I love this term, fierce moments of fellowship, okay? Fierce moments of fellowship, maybe it's starting to sink in what I mean by that argument, right? Disagreement, fierce moment of fellowship. We had one of the most fiercest moments of fellowship since I've been in the denomination since 2007. And, uh, and it was over whether or not we were going to write a paper on racial reconciliation. Now, everybody in the room, I could tell, was in favor of saying something about racial reconciliation. Everybody in the room, I could, as, as I could tell, recognized that, that we have a history that we need to take ownership of it and that we need to uh, set ourselves up to speak a relevant word into what's going on. People have questions about this. You know, um, it's an issue that, that, that has, that through words, become convoluted, right? And people are worried, right? They're worried. What, what's the fear? Let's name the fear. The fear is that if we start talking about this, we might make things worse. Or the fear is that if we start talking about this, we're going to adopt the way that the culture talks about it. And, and some, in, in some ways, you know, um, the way that the culture is talking about it uh, is to introduce Marxism, right? And so people are worried, well, if we start talking about this, then we're going to start talking about it the way that the world talks about it, and then the camel's nose of Marxism gets in under the tent of the church. And so there were some objections. People said, well, we don't want to write this letter. We don't, we don't want to make a statement about this. But here's, here, here's what emerged, that whatever's going on can be a platform for the gospel. What people are talking about, we do need to talk about, but we need to watch the way we talk about it. We need to talk about it in biblical terms. And the way we approach it, the way we approach it, needs to be cognizant that we don't let our core message leak. Right? Yeah, I remember years ago, this is an illustration of, okay, this is an illustration of the illustration. All right, so here's an illustration of what I'm talking about. Years ago, uh, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I wanted to talk about the tough questions, the tough issues, including sexuality and dating with, with teenagers uh, you know, in the room and parents in the room, and it made the parents very nervous. We're going to talk about these things? Yeah, we're going to talk about them. Well, why are you so confident about talking about these things? I mean, it makes me nervous even thinking about talking about these things. And I'm saying, well, the reason is, is this. Everything is an opportunity to glorify God you heard Mary Cole say it earlier. That's, that's our purpose. That's our core message. Everything we talk about, when we talk about it, we can talk about it in a way that glorifies God. It's a platform for the gospel. And so we talked about 
design, that God designed us in a certain way, and God designed us for love, and God designed us to express that love. And so in a winning way, our core message can be front and center even when we talk about sensitive things. We have to be able to talk about sensitive things. We need to talk about all of those sensitive things. We need to be able to admit when we're wrong. We need to be able to look at our history and say, that was a shame. And at the same time say, let the shame drain from us ourselves that God may be glorified in and through us even as we talk about those things that are hard to talk about. You see what I'm saying? So later on today, you're going to see some meme, right? You're going to see somebody post some, something that's unequivocal. Well, this is like that. And you're going to say, no, it's not. And you're going to want to say, I'm going to tell you that you're a, this is a meme that, you know, bops your, your uh, argument on the head because that's a logical fallacy. Look at this. I've got a meme that just shows you what, you're wrong because that's a logical fallacy. I mean, it's amazing. I, I, you know, I, you know, for years, I, I used to talk about logical fallacies. And like, then I realized, I said, do you know what I meant when I talked about logical fallacy? I've never heard of it before. And now we're, we've got memes for logical fallacies just so we can wham each other in our little arguments about big things. Verse 14, that can ruin the faith of your listeners when your core message drains out. So, we point past ourselves to let little things go. You say, well, that, that, that leaves me open. People might accuse me of not caring about it. Well, okay. Let's go to the next step then. We need to point past ourselves and risk having authority in us so that we can point to a bigger authority, and that is Scripture. Let me say it again. We need to risk, take the risk, that people might not see us as an authority on everything, <laughs> oh, that's just so hard, isn't it, right? Not to be the authority on that thing. I mean, it is hard for us. Let's admit it. Come on, y'all. It's hard for us to admit that our opinion isn't an expert witness on every little thing. It's hard for us to admit that. But see, when we do, sometimes, here's what we can do. When we're careful about these things, about not just saying, okay, my opinion over your opinion there are opportunities and there are openings for us to show where authority really lies. Where is your authority when you're speaking on this? I heard somebody speak about, uh, I watched somebody give a little video on, on Scripture, and they were saying, well, there are differences in the Bible, and so we just have to negotiate what's true. Oh, really? On what basis? On your basis? You know? I didn't write to them. I mean, I wanted to take a meme and go, wham, no, that's wrong. But... Are y'all having fun? I mean, I'm trying to have fun with this because this is hard stuff to talk about, and we've got to be lighthearted in a way because this is heavy stuff. You know, we're very divided in our country, and we need to learn how to talk about the tough stuff so that we point beyond ourselves as the authority to a bigger authority. Now, I've, let me illustrate this because I've, I've told this story before, but this is my favorite story that has to do with authority, and this is Dr. Laura. Anybody remember my story about Dr. Laura? It's my favorite story about uh, 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 that, that shows the importance of an authority outside of you, outside of your opinion. Dr. Laura Schlesinger, a radio personality, has written a bunch of books. Uh, she, um, you know, some years ago, some uh, compromising photographs circulated around the Internet. And, you know, you would expect that somebody would say, well, those are all Photoshopped, right? No, she took responsibility. 
It was unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. I mean, when I read that, I read about this in uh, Youth, uh, Youth Worker magazine, and uh, I just couldn't believe it because I'd never seen a, a, somebody who thought of themselves in a th- as an authority whose bread and butter is all about being an authority risk the vulnerability of saying, I made a mistake so that she could point to a higher, more credible authority than herself, right? Empty of self to establish love. This is what she said. She said, when I was young, I was my own moral authority. Now, look at this. I love this punchline. The inadequacy of that is painfully obvious today. Isn't that unbelievable? I love that. Because in her vulnerable moment, even in her shame, do you see how this is illustrating what Paul's saying. I, I feel like I'm in, in, in shame in these chains. And yet, the core message emerges. What's the core message? The core message is to cut straight the word of God. It's to let the Bible speak for itself. It has its own voice, its own author, author in authority, that same word. The authority of Scripture, cutting straight. You know, there's been a lot of debate about what, what Paul means in verse 15, to cut straight, to rightly divide. Sometimes people will talk about it in terms of cutting lumber, or, or I've heard people talk about it in terms of a surgeon's knife. Make sure you cut this and not that. But John Stott, John Stott makes the connection to, uh, the, you know, the Septuagint is the, is the Greek translation, an early, early ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament. And in Proverbs 3, 6, it uses this same word. And it says, trust your, trust your ways to the Lord, and he will make your path straight. So when you're cutting straight the, to the authority of the word, you're helping people not turn this way and that way, not run after this little rabbit trail, this little argument. You're saying, this is the main thing. This is the main way. This is the straight path. Cut straight the word of God so that people, when they follow you, as you follow Christ, they're following Christ. That's what it means to cut straight the word of God, to let it have its own voice of authority in your life because you're, you're willing to let the shame and the self-centeredness be drained out of you to establish love. You see? You've been to Zion. You've been to the Tetons. You've been to Yellowstone. They're bickering. But you know that the wilderness of the West can speak for itself. Powerful message. The core message. Paul has confidence in that message. He lets the Bible speak for itself. He points past himself and lets little things go. And finally this, the risk. The risk of not saying many, many things so that you can say much. Take the risk of not saying many, many, many things so that you can say much. When you do speak, like E.F. Hutton. Remember the, some of you all remember the commercials. When E.F. Hutton talks, people what? People listen, right? Will that be you? In your family, in your extended family, in your workplace, among your friends, on your feed or wherever it is that you're having conversations? Do people see you commenting many, 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 many times? Or do they see that when you weigh in, you speak with an authority that points past you 
that you're not trying to win your argument just for yourself, but that when you do weigh in, you're saying much, and they're listening, listening. You know, I, earlier, Bryant read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, which talks about the tower of what? The tower of Babel, right? The tower of Babel. And in, in this passage, a lot of what Paul is dealing with is Babel, Babel, Babel. The babbling. Don't babble, he says. There are going to be people, and he's saying, he names a couple of people, Hymenaeus and Philetus. He says they've, they've sort of abandoned the whole thing. They're, they're babbling about something over here. He names what that is. He's saying, you know, they've got their own theory, right? And they kind of want to form that theory around themselves. Maybe they want to write a book, or maybe they want to, they want to have a, their own podcast. They want to have a seminar or something like that, and they want to sell tickets. And here they're, they're sort of forming this thing around themselves. He's saying that there are always going to be people like that. The wheat and the tares are going to be sewn together, Timothy. So press on through all of that and let your speech, when you do speak, let it say much. You know, there are a lot of people who, um, who want to give a hot take. They want me to give a hot take. I, I tell people, I don't do hot takes. I don't do hot takes, all right? I'm going to let things kind of simmer a little while. I'm going to let a lot of things go bing, 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 bing. And then, you know, that, that news cycle may just pass away. But if we're still talking about this, then let's reflect on it. Let's, let's let it soak. Let's take a deep breath and a step back. Let's settle down a little bit. And then let's, let's try to steer the elephant a little bit. Let's try to steer the elephant and not just lurch with hot takes and I understand that, and I, I am, I'm happy uh, about the Supreme Court's decision. Our position on life in the womb, in the EPC, in this church is clear. It's clear that uh, before, before you were formed in, in the womb, God says to Jeremiah in five, before you were formed, before I made you, I knew you. Psalm 139 is a beautiful expression of the sanctity of life inside or outside the womb. But if we gloat over things or we use it to shame people, if we say, well, we won and you lost, is the core message draining out? You say, well, I'm standing for what's right. I'm standing what's good and right and true. Okay, are you? But are, is the way you're standing for what's good and right and true, is the way you're standing for what's good and right and true, good and right and true? The way we say it really matters. The medium is the message. To have confidence. Not to say, I'm better or I'm standing on moral high ground. Not to self-aggrandize that you happen to have, uh, be on, on the winning side this time. How about winning the people, not just the argument? How about saying, this is what I'm standing for, this is my core message, and demonstrating it in such a way that people say, you know what, I really believe you. And I really believe that what you're saying is, is really what you do believe. And so I might be willing to listen to you a little bit and understand why, 
Why, and how do you deal with this complexity? And how do you deal with this, this uh, unevenness in, in society? And how do you deal with somebody who's, who's caught in this very bad situation? How do you deal with all of that? Well, good. Now let's talk about it. Now that I've established trust because I haven't shamed you, because I haven't said, well, I'm better than you, now we can have a conversation. I might be able to win a person and not just an argument. And win the person to what? To the cause or the core message? Let's be a people of the core message. Let's be a people who have confidence that we've been to the West. We know what's ahead. We know that it can speak for itself. We know what people will experience when they have the self-centeredness drained out of them and love fill them. Let's pray together. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for your love for us in advance of all our good and bad and ugly. May we, as your church, represent that love well. In the things we say, in the way we say it, in Jesus' name, amen.